0: I'm a compulsive overreader and believe me, Veronica, thank you for asking me to leave tonight. I have to just admit in a room full of people that I love, even if I don't know you, I love you, um, that I've been really nervous and anxious. So I think if I say it out loud, then it will be better. And that has sort of been my experience in these rooms. So, um, you know, I believe I was born this way. I believe I was born... compulsive overeater um maybe not a bulimic but certainly um uh with with a diseased mind um but my situation environment didn't help Uh, i grew up in uh, a house with a lot of uh, addicts i have an older brother who's a drug addict and alcoholic and a mom who is one of us and um has a lot of other addictions as well um, and also in a Jewish home, so where food was sort of the center point of everything in my house. And it was a lot of um, learning how to make food for other people. And in order to do that, you have to smell it and maybe taste it, but never eat it. Um, and so there was a lot of, I think, mixed messages in growing up in my house. Um and also, uh, my parents were hippies, and my mom, because she was disordered in her eating um, and thinking, I didn't have access to anything that would be considered quote-unquote junk food like everything in my house was homemade organic like long before it was even cool like whole foods didn't exist uh and my mom would make everything from scratch and she used a lot of trickery so she would do things like make you know something called pelican punch and it was really just like herbal tea that she brewed in the sun and she would tell us that it was punch and it was just like kool-aid and um You know, when I got into elementary school and I started going to friends' houses and I could see that I tasted Kool-Aid, I was like, this is not what I have at home. It was a pretty, it was pretty, you know, the minute I tasted it, it was like, this is what I need. I have to have this and that other stuff I don't want. Um, And so I don't really have any memories of being a child where I wasn't motivated by food in some way. Um, I always wanted it. It was the source of, you know, happiness, sadness, whatever. Like, I had a feeling from as young as I can remember, I wanted to eat over it. Um, and that, as I learned in these rooms, like, that just got progressive for me. So, elementary school, junior high, I started to be able to go to the mall with my friends. And they wanted to go to the toy store. And I was like, I'm going to the food court. I don't know what you guys are doing. I have no interest in Hello Kitty, but I do have interest in A&W root beer and a root beer float and whatever else I could get my hands on. I just wanted to eat all the time. Um, And I would sneak into the kitchen when I was a kid, and I would, you know, compulsively eat things. And they're really, like, I could compulsively eat, you know, uh, rice cakes and butter. Like, that was pretty much the junkiest thing that we ever had in my house. So that's what I was binging on. But, like, I would binge on anything. I could find anything to binge on. And, um, you know, the truth is is that I come, despite the addiction in my house, like, I come from a very loving family. My parents are wonderful people, and they love me very much, and they did the best that they could. I didn't have any huge trauma in my life, Uh, so I don't get to, like, use anything as an excuse, and that's why I really think I am, and I've learned in these rooms that I am bodily and mentally different than other people when it comes to certain foods, Uh, And so to qualify, I have been abstinent for just over 15 months. I'm down a little over 80 pounds, and I abstain from recreational sugar. And for the newcomer, if you don't know what that is, it's essentially just desserts of any kind. Um, I do eat some things that have um, sugar, like salad dressings that have sugar in the ingredients, um, as long as it's not the first couple ingredients in it. Um, And I don't eat flour and then i have a list of alcoholic foods that if i take one bite i can't not take a thousand bites uh, i don't eat those things and some there's a pretty lofty list <laughs> um, and um and so you know before i came into the rooms and passing pictures around and i think it's a really good description of what it was like but it was pretty it was pretty miserable it was a pretty miserable existence um When I was in high school, you know, so to back up a little bit, when I was about nine years old, my mom put me on my first diet, but I I really wasn't overweight. But again, I had a disordered mom who was not in recovery, and um, she put me on my first diet at Weight Watchers, and that was the, the first time that I thought, okay, I'm not good enough, and my, like, my life is... My worth is, is determined by how I look. And um, so that started at nine years old for me. And from there, it was just a series of diets and diets and diets. Uh, if if you name it, I have done it. I'm confident I've done it. Like I grew up in Los Angeles. Any possible diet that you could name, I have
1: spent money on
0: it, and I've done it and it 's not my story that I was a great dieter. I was always on a diet, but I was always fat. like I never lost weight. I was never that person that could lose weight. and I always am amazed when I come into the rooms and I hear people share their story. My sponsor's one of them because like lose a bunch of weight and then would gain it back. I just I never could lose weight um, so thats not, that's not my story and I think that that's an important piece of it not being my story because it really reminds me of my powerlessness and that I am not. I did not lose this weight that I've lost since I've been in the rooms. This is not as a result of me because when I do it, nothing happens. I just get fatter. Um, And so I really wasn't overweight as a kid. But then I got into high school and, you know, it started to catch up with me. And um, I wanted to go on a diet. I probably had about 30 or 40 pounds to lose. So in high school, that's a significant amount of weight to lose. And my mom took me to um, an herbalist who gave me all of these pills, and she would give me shots in the bum. It was, like, this hole in the wall in, like, a really bad neighborhood. My mom would drive me there three times a week, and I would get these shots, and I would take these pills before every meal. And I I was on speed. I was totally on drugs. And I lost weight. I mean, that's how I did it. I lost weight. That was the first and only time that I was able to ever lose any considerable amount of weight. And it was about 30 pounds. Um, And I was about 16 years old at the time. And everything kind of started to change for me in that period. I started to get attention from boys in school, Uh, my friends started to treat me differently. They didn't like that. I was always like the fun, outgoing fat friend and nobody liked it. And I didn't like it either. I didn't like the attention from, from the boys. I didn't like what was happening with my friends. And I knew, you know, subconsciously that the solution to that was to eat. And that's what I did. I ate it. I ate my way back up those 30 pounds plus another 30, And then I went away to college, and it was the first time I was out of my parents' house where I had restrictions on every single thing that I put in my mouth, and it was like, it was just, it was on. It was on. Um, I just went crazy. I will never forget the first time I went to a supermarket. In college, I went away to college in Seattle. I walked into a supermarket and I was like, "Oh my god, like I can buy whatever I want, and nobody's going to tell me." And the P.S. It's my parents' money; like they're funneling money to me, and I'm just going to eat my way through this experience. And that's what I did. I ate better in college, meaning like in terms of money, um, than I ever have in my life, I and mean, I just it was it was a it was a four year binge, um, and. I got heavier and heavier and heavier, and I'd always come home at the summers, and my mom would, you know, have the talk with me. We'd go to Weight Watchers. How can you be happy with yourself, the way that you look? And there was a lot of stuff tied into my relationship with my mom, too, and wanting to just have her love me and accept me the way that I was. And, you know, whether that was my own distorted perception or not, I, I don't know, and it doesn't matter today, but I certainly ate at my mom. I ate at a lot of people. I ate at a lot of situations. Um, That was what I did. I ate at things. And I ate at myself because I just, there was so much self-loathing. I disliked myself so much and I couldn't stop eating and I didn't know how to stop eating. Um, So, you know, For me, also tied into all of that self-loathing and the food was everything in excess. So I started to have sex in excess. I started to spend money in excess. And I just, I wanted no boundaries, like none. And I didn't really have boundaries because I had hippie parents. I didn't have a lot of boundaries growing up. I didn't have a set bedtime. And I had a TV in my room. I just didn't have boundaries. And I just wanted to constantly push whatever boundary I had getting close to me. I wanted to push it in, away. Um, and, and I did that in school, too. Like, I never wanted to follow directions. Somebody would give an assignment, and they'd say, do it this way. And I'd be like, mm, I'm going to do it my own way because my way is better. And that's kind of the story of my life, really, until I came into these rooms, that my way is better and that if I just can put my own twist on something – It's going to be – that's the way. That's the way to do it. Um, And in college, I I remember, like, getting to, I think, 220 or 230 pounds – I I also smoked a lot of marijuana in college, and I don't know if you guys know this, but that makes you want to eat a little bit, and I did. I ate a lot, uh, and I had a buddy. I always had buddies. I always had eating buddies, and my best friend from college was my eating buddy, and we'd smoke, and we'd eat together, and then we graduated from college, and she went home, and she just, like, lost all the weight that she gained, because she's not an impulsive overeater, but I didn't. Like, I just kept eating. I kept smoking, um, and it I, I then, I did a lot of geographicals in my life, a lot. So, college, I think, was kind of one of them. Like, let me get away from my mom. If I get away from my mom, I'll figure this out. I'll figure out how to, like, lose weight and love myself, and it'll be okay. Um, And I came back from college. I moved to New York for a millisecond. Um, I came back. And I was working at the time in, in entertainment, and I just was really lost. Like, I just, I always had a thousand jobs. I could never keep a job. I always, like, had a job for, like, six months or a year. There was always a problem with who I was working for. Everybody was always the problem. I was never the problem. Everybody else was always the problem. And, again, if they were the problem, I, I ate at them a lot. So I, I then moved to New York again. Uh, I followed a woman there that I was in a relationship with. I'm not a lesbian. <laughs> but I, I, I really, again, like I think it just speaks to, it is kind of funny, but I, I think it speaks to, um, you know, my, my thinking and my desperateness to just find a solution in an outside source, like just somebody, something, make me okay, love me the way that I am, accept me the way that I am, and because I wasn't gay and I didn't care, I could just be myself in in the relationship, so I moved to New York, and I I quickly realized when I got there that I was not a lesbian. And I was like, this is not good. What am I going to do? Um, And so I just ate my way through that experience. Like, I ate my way through. Instead of being able to stand up for myself and say, hey, you know what? I'm not a lesbian or I'm not in this relationship. I'm going to move back. I'm going to go home. Like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't speak a truth. There was never truth. I I was such a liar. So i i just bolted i made up some lies some excuse uh about my dad because my dad my dad is sick and has been since i was 16 and i always could use him as an excuse and i was like i have to go home he's not well and i never really ended it with her i just i never ended it with her and uh I remember I started dating a man, and he was at my apartment, and she called, and she was, like, leaving this voicemail, and he was, like, why is there a woman calling you baby on your voicemail? I don't, This was a time when answering machines, like, were machines. Um, and I just, you know, that was a, another, like, pivotal moment of, like, uh, I'm not really doing things well. So, and I had met this man, um, and, and I fell in love with him. It was the first time I ever fell in love, and the relationship lasted a really long time, too long. It was, like, four and a half years, and it was, in a lot of ways, we were very connected. He's also an addict, uh, and at the time, I didn't know it. He was an alcoholic and a drug addict and, and eventually became a heroin addict, but I didn't know it at the time, and my weight was, like, the center point of our relationship was, like, the the center of everything. If you lose weight, we can get married. If you lose weight, we can go on this vacation to Hawaii and you can wear a bathing suit and I won't feel embarrassed about, you know, being with you. Um, and I, I kind of always I, – I liked that. Like, I sought that. I sought that out. I didn't seek someone to accept me and love me the way that I was because I did not – love myself and accept myself the way that I was and so I just I stayed in that for a really long time and again you know never mind like he was you know drunk and asleep by eight o'clock every night and like getting up and and throwing up in the middle of the night I it was all me like I was the problem my weight was the problem and and I love what um what was read saying you know that that probably no human power could have relieved our overeating. Like, I really believe if there was a human power that could have done it, that relationship, that person would have been it for me. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And every time we would have a conversation about it, all I wanted to do was eat more. I'm like, I'm crazy. I'm a crazy person. Who, like, ends up eating when you're talking about the fact that you need to lose weight? I do. And I thought I was the only person in the world who felt that way. And I I ate my way through that relationship, and in the desperation of trying to make that relationship work and thinking that it wasn't working because of my weight, I had weight loss surgery. I had lap band surgery, and again, like, I lost about 30 pounds, and then I quickly uh, found a way to eat my way through it because I'm a compulsive overeater, and that's what I do. I found I'm not special. Like, I'm not special because I did that because probably everybody could find a way around it in these rooms. And so I ate a lot of ice cream. I drank a lot of fatty soups. Like, anything I could do that would satiate that feeling, I did it. And I started to put the weight back on. And, um, again, it just progressively got worse. And after having that experience of having the surgery – that is when I discovered bulimia. And I grew up in a house with a bulimic, bulimic mom, and I didn't know that she was bulimic. She would grow up, and my dad would get really upset. I was like, why are you upset? She's sick. Like, she's a sick person. She's throwing up. She's sick. I didn't understand. And it wasn't until I was older that my mom had shared that information with me. And so I kind of felt like, well, this is, my, this is my story. Like, this is going to be my story because it was my mom's story, so it's also going to be my story. I had a very enmeshed relationship with my mom and my grandmother and all the women uh, in my family. I come from a very large family on my mom's side. And I can't think of a single woman that isn't disordered in her eating and her thinking. Uh, and how they feel about themselves as it pertains to their body. And so I just was like, well, this is this is my fate. And I, I took it. And I started throwing up. And it didn't work, just like everything else, because I was probably eating way more than I was actually throwing up, although I was throwing up ten times a day. It wasn't enough to compensate for how much I was eating. And so I just kept getting fatter and fatter. And uh, as I mentioned, my, bro- my oldest brother is an alcoholic and, and drug addict, and my mom put my other brother and I in Alateen when I was about 9 or 10. My mom is in that program, and so my mom was like, maybe you should try the 12 steps, like go to Overeaters Anonymous. And I was like, maybe you should mind your own business, and I'm going to do the opposite of whatever it is that you tell me. <laughs> so I, I was not going to, I mean, I just, there was no way. But my boyfriend, the heroin drug addict boyfriend at the time, was like, you need to go to Overeaters Anonymous. And I was like, that's a really good idea. (laughs) So I I came into the room for a millisecond. I had a sponsor who's sitting in this room right now. And I just, I didn't want anything that you guys had to offer i wanted none of it you were talking about god i thought you were crazy i thought you were weak and i was like nope and i would only identify as a bulimic i was 250 pounds and i couldn't identify as a compulsive overeater <laughs> so i didn't want to have any and i'd only go to the bulimia focus meetings like i was like this is the only place i can come i just didn't want it and i just i bolted i bolted and i was like okay the, the solution to my throwing up because i knew that if i kept throwing up i was i was going to die my solution to that was um, to find a, a, reha- a rehab, a program. And so I sought out. I spent all of my days doing this, like, looking for a, a program that was not 12-step based. Like, and there, there are quite a few of them. So I went into to a, I was hospitalized in, uh, in 2008 for the bulimia for 10 weeks in a program that was not 12-step based. And I, I left that experience thinking, I'm fixed. I'm I am saved. I've been saved. I'm fixed. And all of my problems are gone. And that was not the truth, sadly for me. It was not the truth. I, I think that I was in such an isolated experience. You know, they watch you go to the bathroom. They dictate how you eat. You, I, had, I had no ability to binge or purge. Like, there was no way for me to binge or purge. And then the minute I got out, I was like, okay. And then I just started eating. I didn't throw up for a really, really long time. But I started to eat, and I kept eating, and I kept eating, and I got all the way to 280 pounds. Um, and that very boyfriend, that was a heroin addict, uh, we broke up, and years before. And um, about two years ago, he called me, and he said, I, "I want to make amends." And I was like, "Okay, fine, whatever. Can you just do it? Can you do it over the phone?" And he was like, no, I need to do it face-to-face. And I said, okay. So I met him for lunch. And I sat across from this person that I knew in what I thought to be was such an intimate way. And he was, like, unrecognizable in his behavior and the way that he spoke. Just, like, looking into his eyes, I was like, I don't even know who this person is. It's such a miracle. Like, that was the word that I could use at the time to describe it. It was a miracle. And he said to me, you know, in that, in that lunch i probably got up to go to the bathroom like five times to throw up and he was like you know i know what you're doing and i was like i'm fine i'm not like i you know i thought i was like fooling him like no i just i have have a small bladder to pee a lot um and i was i was throwing up and he and he said to me you know sabrina you have a spiritual malady that's that's what's wrong with you and I just like looked at him, and I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I don't even know what the word spiritual means, and I and I don't have a mouth. Like I have not none of those things that you're discussing. What you have is the drug problem. You're sick. I'm not sick. I'm not a sick person. But there was something that he said that penetrated. And sitting across from someone that was so clearly changed, like. And now I can identify it as a spiritual shift. It was so such a big change. Um, and he said to me, like, just go to one meeting. And I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe I'll go to one meeting. Maybe I'll try it. Because at the time I was so desperate. I was I was in a relationship that was just awful, and um, I just I hated myself. I hated myself. The way it was. So insignificant I was so I was so low I, I didn't even want to be alive I didn't want to be alive I hated myself so much I was so dishonest I could never tell the truth I was doing really inappropriate shady things with men despite you know being in a relationship um, and I just I was just not a good person I was not a person that I would want to have in my life today and so I went to a meeting. And, again, I was like, oh, there's that awful word, God. I don't like that word. I don't want anything to do with it. And, but I stayed anyway. I stayed anyway because I related. There was something in every meeting that I went to that I could identify with whoever spoke, whether it was the lead or a share, I could identify. So I stayed, and I kept going. And I heard people start to talk about, you know, faking it. Like, just fake it until you make it. Fake it until you get there. And that's kind of what I did. I got a sponsor right away because that's what you guys told me to do. So I got a sponsor right away. And um, that sponsor took me through the first couple steps. And I, I just did what she told me to do, even if I didn't want to do it. And that's still the story today with my new sponsor, who I love. She tells me what to do, and I most of the time don't want to do it. Like, I want to do it my way. But my way doesn't work. My way gets me to 280 pounds and climbing. And, um, and so what, what my life looks like today and what I do every day to recover is, <clears throat> like I said, I have a sponsor, and she has a sponsor, and that sponsor also has a sponsor. And she takes me through the steps as they're outlined in the big book, and I speak to her every day, multiple times a day. <laughs> Um, probably more than she would like but that's not my problem and um and I just I utilize I utilize the tools of this of this um of this program and the most important thing is that I have a reliance on a power greater than myself and I can't define that for you um I still struggle with the word God but I use it because it's a w- easy way for me to identify uh, that power in the rooms and with other people, <clears throat> but I'm I'm clear that anything that I have that's good in my life today is because of my reliance on on that power, and um, and so I wake up in the morning and I read from the daily readers and I pray and I meditate and I don't do any of those things perfectly. Uh, what I have done perfectly is I've not left the rooms, and I, I really do believe that I have a very clear abstinence. I know when I'm abstinent, and I know when I'm not. Uh, and I, I try to eat soberly, and I think about it the same as it is for an alcoholic or a drug addict, that I, I either am or I'm not. And so those behaviors are, are really clear for me. Um, and I have sponsees, and that is such a gift in my life to have people because it gets me out of myself. And that, most of the time, I don't want to. I don't want to take their calls, not because they're not amazing, beautiful, wonderful people, but because I just want to be with myself, in myself, all the time. Sabrina, 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 and that I know what that looks like. I know what Sabrina, Sabrina, Sabrina looks like. So I take the action despite not wanting to. And sometimes it's easier than others, but, but that's, what, that's what I do. And, and my life today, you know, the circumstances may not be drastically different, but my life feels so different. I live by a set of principles, and those principles are the most important thing to me. And my abstinence is the most important thing to me in my life, no matter what. And I'm willing to go to any length to protect my abstinence. Because if I don't have my abstinence, I don't have a life. I don't, I don't get the beautiful life. And the weight loss is, again, just such a tiny little piece of the gifts that I have from this, from this program. And so I had mentioned, you know, the sex and the money were really tied into my disease. And, and today... Um, I'm in a monogamous relationship with someone who's incredible and wonderful and um, I don't have shady behavior where I'm you know texting or going and seeing other people I'm not you know having inappropriate behaviors with married men and um, that's a miracle it's a miracle and I also get to look at the financial wreckage that I had in my disease and and although it's uncomfortable and sometimes I just want to continue to bury my head in the sand, I don't that's not that's not the answer, that's not the solution. so i'm I'm addressing those things, which is also such a gift. It's such a gift to be here on a Saturday night with all of you here. Um, I'm so, so grateful for these rooms. It, it's the reason I have a life today. And uh, if you're new, I hope you keep coming back. Thank you. Keep the question. Got it. Any questions? Nothing? Did I cover everything <laughs> in the whole Um. Thank you so much, Julie. At what point in your journey did you kind of discover that your weight didn't equal your worth? And how did that kind of affect your recovery? So the question was, at what point in my recovery did I discover that my weight didn't equal my worth? That's a really good question. And the answer is, that is still a process for me. I haven't gotten – I haven't lost all of my weight yet. uh, And I struggle – a lot with my worth being tied into how i look and how much i weigh but i think the deeper connection i have to god the less i feel that the less i feel like my worth is, is based on that because if i know that i have a higher power in my life that is going to take care of me no matter what Then it really doesn't matter what I look like. It really doesn't matter what I look like. But I also know that when I'm having feelings about things in my life, I typically want to go to my body. and obsess obsessed about my body and all the things that are wrong with my body and why I'm so unlovable and why my boyfriend's going to break up with me because my butt looks a certain way or it doesn't look a certain way. Um, you know, like the lines on my face. Like, I could just go spiral. Uh, and usually that's connected to the fact that I have a feeling about something else. And usually the feeling is fear. So I've learned that in these rooms that most of my... My feelings are centered around fear, which is my ego. So if I can rely on God to take take those feelings, then oftentimes suddenly those those feelings <laughs> dissipate about you know obsessing about my bottom or my thighs or whatever it is that I'm obsessing about.
1: And and much
0: like um, the speaker said earlier about. You know, one day I could wake up in the morning, and I'm like, I'm the hottest thing in the whole world. And then two hours later, I'm the most disgusting, awful person. So I know that my disease lies in my mind. Like, this is where all of my problems are. It's in my mind. So I have to get out of myself. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much Amy. Can you tell us more about uh, the process that you went through to make amends, and particularly with the one physical board? So the question is, um, can I speak more about what I did my process of making amends and with my, with the boyfriend? <clears throat> so, you know, my sponsor, when we started, when we got to that step, I was like, oh, my God, like, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's always my answer to everything. I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, that's always what my thinking. I can't do it. And she was like, you're going to be fine, you know be quiet you're going to be fine very gentle but firm loving you're going to be fine cut it out and also um she reminded me that I was going to be going through the steps more than one time and I was like oh what an awful thought (laughs) but as I started to get relief in my life have from working the steps I thought okay this is this is the solution that's where the solution is um so, you know, the, the funny thing is that that ex-boyfriend and I are very, 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 very close friends today, which is a total miracle and a result of him having a strong program of recovery and me having a strong program of recovery. And also, I think my current boyfriend having a strong program of recovery, <laughs> too. Um, but we, we, are, we have a very, very close relationship. And, you know, the amends for me, my experience of making the amends, it really wasn't about the other person. It didn't matter what their response ever was going to be to me. If it was, you know, I hate you, it's awful, whatever. It, was, it didn't matter because I had to clear, as it tells me in the big book, like I have to clear my side of the street, my wreckage, in order to be free. And that is it's not why I came. I came to the rooms to lose weight, but I, I stay because I want to be free and I want to be have serenity. So, you know... Just take – all I could like say is just take the step. Just take the action. Somebody gives you direction. Take the step. Do it, uh, even if it doesn't feel good or you don't want to. Because in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that was – I felt so much relief from that. It's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your share. Um, Do you ever struggle with doubt about the existence of your higher power of God for shorthand or even just feel disconnected? And if so, how do you handle that? So the question was, do I ever uh, feel disconnected or question my belief in a higher power? All the time. I think I wake up every single morning in doubt and not believing. I wake up every morning with amnesia that anything I did the day before is going to work. So, all I do is take that contrary action to, to pray and meditate myself out of that. And honestly, sometimes I, I, I mean, I have to talk about it. I call my sponsor. I'm like, I don't believe. Today, I don't believe. I don't believe that there's anything that's bigger than me, that's going to take care of me. Why does God care about my food? Why does God care about my business? Why, like, and, um, and then I get a clear direction of action and I get to take an action to either read something out of the big book or out of a supplementary other, you know, book, uh, and I, I just take the action. There's a, there's a, there are a lot of times I don't believe, but I, I just do it anyway because I, my experience has been that if I just do it, I start to believe. And that's certainly how I, I came into the room and and that's how I stayed, and and the weight loss has been really a gift for me to see that there is a God a God working in my life, and that God does care about my food and does care about my body because I could not stop eating I could not stop eating before I came into the rooms, and it's, you know I I, sur- not, I didn't do anything different other than get the the direction and guidance and and start to take the actions to pray and meditate. Even if it's for five minutes. So, yeah. Thank you.